Third Nephi, chapter 8. This chapter describes the most terrible destruction that ever occurred on the Western Hemisphere. Nephi wants to be absolutely certain of the date when this occurred. He says the three days of destruction began on exactly the fourth day of the first month of the 34th year, according to the Nephite calendar. In any event, the fact that the Nephite calendar had already indicated that the 33rd year had ended four days earlier caused an uproar among the apostate-minded people because the signs had not yet begun. Nevertheless, once the signs began, they descended on the Western Hemisphere in an overwhelming catastrophe. Now it came to pass that according to our record, and we know our record to be true, for behold, it was a just man who did keep the record. For he truly did many miracles in the name of Jesus. And there was not any man who could do a miracle in the name of Jesus, save he were cleansed every whit from his iniquity. And now it came to pass, if there was no mistake made by this man in the reckoning of our time, the thirty and third year had passed away. And the people began to look with great earnestness for the sign which had been given by the prophet Samuel the Lamanite. Yea, for the time that there should be darkness for the space of three days over the face of the land. And there began to be great doubtings and disputations among the people. Notwithstanding, so many signs had been given. The destruction began with a great storm that moved across the face of the whole land with devastating force. And it came to pass in the thirty and fourth year, in the first month, on the fourth day of the month, there arose a great storm such an one as never had been known in all the land. And there was also a great and terrible tempest, and there was terrible thunder, insomuch that it did shake the whole earth, as if it was about to divide asunder. The Nephite calendar began with the night when there was no darkness, whereas the Christian calendar began a day later when Christ was born. This would apparently make the Nephite calendar one day longer. So on the fourth day of the first month of 34 A.D., there was this great storm. In the sixth verse, Nephi calls it a great tempest or a violent and calamitous gale. It was accompanied by thunder and the roaring sound accompanying earthquakes, which make it seem that the earth will divide and splinter apart. And there were exceeding sharp lightnings, such as never had been known in all the land. And the city of Zarahemla did take fire. And the city of Moroni did sink into the depths of the sea. And the inhabitants thereof were drowned. And the earth was carried up upon the city of Moronihah, that in the place of the city there became a great mountain. Though the people did not know it until later, whole cities were being wiped out. Zarahemla caught fire, the city of Moroni slid off into the sea, and Moronihah was covered up by a huge mountain. A very dramatic portrayal of this destruction can be seen on page 7 of volume 4. And there was a great and terrible destruction in the land southward. Actually, there was far more surface or terrestrial destruction across the land southward. This upheaval actually changed this region of the Western Hemisphere into a huge continent. Prior to this time, the land southward was described as a long rectangular territory 
surrounded by a sea east, a sea west, a sea south, and a sea north. And this will be found in Alma chapter 22, verses 32 and 33. The Rocky Mountains are not as formidable as they are today. But it does indicate in verse 32 that there was an isthmus or narrow neck of land which connected the land southward with the land northward as it is at the present time. The Book of Mormon would suggest that within three hours, the sea south was replaced by a huge extension of land which today we call Lower Chile and Argentina. On the other hand, the sea east was pushed aside to make way for Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay, and Bolivia. Scientists have a wonderful time debating this alleged phenomena, as they should, but we are simply describing what the Book of Mormon indicates must have happened. But behold, there was a more great and terrible destruction in the land northward. For behold, the whole face of the land was changed because of the tempest and the whirlwinds and the thunderings and the lightnings and the exceeding great quaking of the whole earth. Amazingly, this verse indicates there was even a more terrible destruction or physical disturbance on the surface of the land northward. And the highways were broken up, and the level roads were spoiled, and many smooth places became rough, and many great and notable cities were sunk, and many were burned, and many were shaken till the buildings thereof had fallen to the earth, and the inhabitants thereof were slain, and the places were left desolate. And there were some cities which remained, but the damage thereof was exceeding great, and there were many of them who were slain. And there were some who were carried away in the whirlwind, and whither they went no man knoweth, save they know that they were carried away. And now Nephi speaks of the whole world being changed. He means the face of the western hemisphere or the whole earth as they knew it. And thus the face of the whole earth became deformed because of the tempests and the thunderings and the lightnings and the quaking of the earth. And behold, the rocks were rent in twain. They were broken up upon the face of the whole earth insomuch that they were found in broken fragments and in seams and in cracks upon all the face of the land. Now we come to the verse which tells us that all of this fantastic rearranging of the earth's surface in this part of the world was accomplished in three hours. And it came to pass that when the thunderings and the lightnings and the storm and the tempest and the quakings of the earth did cease, for behold, they did last for about the space of three hours, and it was said by some that the time was greater. Nevertheless, all these great and terrible things were done in about the space of three hours. And then, behold, there was darkness upon the face of the land. And it came to pass that there was thick darkness upon all the face of the land, insomuch that the inhabitants thereof who had not fallen could feel the vapor of darkness. With all of the dust and debris emanating from a cataclysm such as this one, we would expect a partial darkness. But the Book of Mormon says this darkness was different. It was a damp, soggy darkness that could actually be felt. It seems to have been the same kind of damp darkness as that which engulfed Egypt in the days of Moses, which is described in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. 
The New Testament speaks of these same three hours when it says, quote, And from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land, that is, of Jerusalem, until the ninth hour, unquote. And when Jesus had finally yielded up the ghost, the scripture says, quote, The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, unquote. This is found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 46 to 51. But this earthquake and darkness in the vicinity of Jerusalem was nothing compared with the gigantic upheaval that went roaring across the face of North and South America. Perhaps before continuing, we should mention that the prophet Enoch saw a vision of the impact which these terrible hours of Christ's agony had on the intelligences in this round of the Father's creation. Enoch says, quote, And he heard a loud voice, and the heavens were veiled, and all the creations of God mourned, and the earth groaned, and the rocks were rent, unquote. It will be recalled that when we discussed the atonement in Alma chapter 34, we mentioned that the excruciating agony of the Savior during these terrible hours became the pivotal core of the atonement. It so aroused the flood of compassion among the intelligences of the universe that it gave Jesus the power to serve as the Father's great mediator throughout time and all eternity. Now we continue. And there could be no light because of the darkness, neither candles, neither torches, neither could there be fire kindled with their fine and exceedingly dry wood, so that there could not be any light at all. And there was not any light seen, neither fire, nor glimmer, neither the sun, nor the moon, nor the stars. For so great were the mists of darkness which were upon the face of the land. And it came to pass that it did last for the space of three days that there was no light seen, and there was great mourning and howling and weeping among all the people continually. Yea, great were the groanings of the people, because of the darkness and the great destruction which had come upon them. In this terrible darkness one would expect a howling lamentation to ascend into the heavens as the terrified people vented their feelings while crawling about in the darkness. And in one place they were heard to cry, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and then would our brethren have been spared, and they would not have been burned in that great city Zarahemla. And in another place they were heard to cry and mourn, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and had not killed and stoned the prophets, and cast them out. Then would our mothers and our fair daughters and our children have been spared, and not have been buried up in that great city Moroniah. And thus were the howlings of the people great and terrible. Third Nephi, Chapter 9 Probably nothing could have been more surprising to the survivors of this great catastrophe than hearing a voice speaking to them as they huddled together in the darkness. And it came to pass that there was a voice heard among all the inhabitants of the earth upon all the face of this land, 
crying, Woe, woe, woe unto this people! Woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent! For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice, because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people. And it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. The people would also later learn that there had been a massive destruction of the wicked, sometimes wiping out whole cities. Behold, that great city Zarahemla have I burned with fire, and the inhabitants thereof. And behold, that great city Moroni have I caused to be sunk in the depths of the sea, and the inhabitants thereof to be drowned. And behold, that great city Moronihah have I covered with earth, and the inhabitants thereof, to hide their iniquities and their abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come any more unto me against them. All of these cities are familiar to us, but now the Lord speaks of cities never before mentioned in this record. And behold, the city of Gilgal have I caused to be sunk, and the inhabitants thereof to be buried up in the depths of the earth. Yea, and the city of Onihah, and the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Mokum, and the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Jerusalem, and the inhabitants thereof. And waters have I caused to come up in the stead thereof, to hide their wickedness and abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come up any more unto me against them. And behold, the city of Gadiandi, and the city of Gadiamna, and the city of Jacob, and the city of Gimgimno, all these have I caused to be sunk, and made hills and valleys in the places thereof and the inhabitants thereof have I buried up in the depths of the earth to hide their wickedness and abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints should not come up any more unto me against them. And behold, that great city Jacobugath, which was inhabited by the people of King Jacob, have I caused to be burned with fire because of their sins and their wickedness, which was above all the wickedness of the whole earth, because of their secret murders and combinations. For it was they that did destroy the peace of my people and the government of the land. Therefore I did cause them to be burned to destroy them from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints should not come up unto me any more against them. Now the Lord specifies the cities of the Gadiantans and the people of King Jacob. The next group of cities appear to be those of the Lamanites who killed the righteous Lamanites and Nephite prophets whom the Lord sent among them. And behold, the city of Laman and the city of Josh and the city of Gad and the city of Kishkumen have I caused to be burned with fire and the inhabitants thereof because of their wickedness in casting out the prophets and stoning those whom I did send to declare unto them concerning their wickedness and their abominations. And because they did cast them all out, that there were none righteous among them, 
I did send down fire and destroy them, that their wickedness and abominations might be hid from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints whom I sent among them might not cry unto me from the ground against them. And many great destructions have I caused to come upon this land and upon this people because of their wickedness and their abominations. Finally, he speaks to those who need to repent, even though they were not wicked enough to be destroyed. O all ye that are spared, because ye were more righteous than they, will ye not now return unto me, and repent of your sins, and be converted, that I may heal you? Yea, verily I say unto you, If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive. And blessed are those who come unto me. Finally, the voice in the darkness identifies himself. What a shock this must have been to those who had been doubters and disbelievers. Under the authority of the Father, he is the one who was the general manager of all the creations, both heaven and earth, and all their embellishments. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father and the Father in me and in me hath the Father glorified his name. I came unto my own, and my own received me not. And the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled, and as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name, for behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. I am the light and the life of the world. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now the Savior announces the termination of the blood sacrifices which were initiated in the days of Adam. The Savior says the purposes of these sacrifices have all been fulfilled, so that now he wants a new kind of sacrifice. It consists of coming unto Christ with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And ye shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. For I will accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Notice that very often the refining influence of the Holy Ghost is so gentle and subtle 
that it performs its mission without the converts even knowing what is happening to them. Of course, there are times when the Holy Ghost can be very demonstrative, as it was among the apostles in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The fire was actually visible, but the refining influence of the Holy Ghost can change a person internally and spiritually without a person realizing what is happening to them. For example, the people in the days of King Mosiah cried out with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which hath wrought a mighty change in us, or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. This is found in Mosiah chapter 5, verse 2. Notice that there was no Pentecostal flames of fire, or speaking in tongues as there had been among the apostles. Nor was there among the Lamanites when so many of them were converted. It was a miracle when they changed from a wicked and indolent people to become like the righteous Nephites. Behold, I have come unto the world to bring redemption unto the world, to save the world from sin. Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive, for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life, and have taken it up again. Therefore repent, and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Jesus closes this astounding sermon in the darkness by emphasizing the importance of coming unto him with the humility of a little child. Third Nephi chapter 10 And now behold, it came to pass that all the people of the land did hear these sayings and did witness of it. And after these sayings there was silence in the land for the space of many hours. For so great was the astonishment of the people, that they did cease lamenting and howling for the loss of their kindred which had been slain. Therefore there was silence in all the land for the space of many hours. It is vividly clear that the impact of the Savior's message had surely penetrated the conscience of all the survivors of this massive destruction which had cleansed the land. Even the lamentation and mourning stopped as the people went into a state of solemn, silent reflection. And it came to pass that there came a voice again unto the people. And all the people did hear and did witness of it, saying, O ye people of these great cities which have fallen, who are descendants of Jacob, yea, who are of the house of Israel, how oft have I gathered you, as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and have nourished you. And again, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel who have fallen! Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel, ye that dwell at Jerusalem as ye that have fallen! Yea, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens! and ye would not. O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, 
How oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent, and return unto me with full purpose of heart. But if not, O house of Israel, the places of your dwellings shall become desolate until the time of the fulfilling of the covenant to your fathers. And now it came to pass that after the people had heard these words, behold, they began to weep and howl again because of the loss of their kindred and friends. These verses constitute the most devastating threat the Lord had ever made against the seed of Jacob who had polluted the promised land. He is threatening to leave America in a state of total desolation until the latter days, unless the people repent. This immediately set the people off to howling and mourning all over again. These conditions extended throughout the three days and nights of darkness. During all of this time, there seems to have been groaning and residual earthquake shocks until the tectonic plates finally settled into place at the end of three days. And it came to pass that thus did the three days pass away. And it was in the morning, and the darkness dispersed from off the face of the land, and the earth did cease to tremble, and the rocks did cease to rend, and the dreadful groanings did cease, and all the tumultuous noises did pass away, and the earth did cleave together again that it stood, and the mourning and the weeping and the wailing of the people who were spared alive did cease, and their mourning was turned into joy, and their lamentations into the praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. When the sunshine replaced the soggy darkness of the past three days, it made the people gradually realize how fortunate and blessed they had been to still be alive. After measuring the devastations that lay all around them, they finally gave up their lamentations and got around to praising the Lord and acknowledging that they were greatly blessed indeed to escape being burned, crushed, smothered by the smoke and fumes, or carried away in the whirlwind. And thus far were the scriptures fulfilled which had been spoken by the prophets. And it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. And it was they who received the prophets, and stoned them not. And it was they who had not shed the blood of the saints who were spared. And they were spared, and were not sunk and buried up in the earth and they were not drowned in the depths of the sea, and they were not burned by fire, neither were they fallen upon and crushed to death, and they were not carried away in the whirlwind, neither were they overpowered by the vapor of smoke and of darkness. Now Nephi, who is making this record, wants to hammer home the point that all of this terrible destruction was exactly what the people had been warned to expect if they didn't repent. Now, whoso readeth, let him understand. He that hath the Scriptures, let him search them. And see and behold, if all these deaths and destructions by fire, and by smoke, and by tempests, and by whirlwinds, and by the opening of the earth to receive them, and all these things are not unto the fulfilling of the prophecies of many of the holy prophets. Behold, I say unto you, Yea, many have testified of these things at the coming of Christ, and were slain because they testified of these things. 
Nothing that has just happened to the Nephites and Lamanites should have come as a surprise. Nephi refers to some of the more notable prophets who had promised that the seed of Jacob would inherit the promised land forever if they would repent and remain righteous and prove worthy of it. Yea, the prophet Zenos did testify of these things, and also Zenoch spake concerning these things, because they testified particularly concerning us, who are the remnant of their seed. Behold, our father Jacob also testified concerning a remnant of the seed of Joseph. And behold, are not we a remnant of the seed of Joseph? And these things which testify of us, are they not written upon the plates of brass which our father Lehi brought out of Jerusalem? Nephi now wants to prepare those who are going to read this record in the latter days for the marvelous account he is now about to unfold in this record which describes the visit of the resurrected Christ to America. And it came to pass that in the ending of the thirty and fourth year, behold, I will show unto you that the people of Nephi who were spared, and also those who had been called Lamanites who had been spared, did have great favors shown unto them, and great blessings poured out upon their heads, insomuch that soon after the ascension of Christ into heaven, he did truly manifest himself unto them, showing his body unto them, and ministering unto them. And an account of his ministry shall be given hereafter. Therefore, for this time, I make an end of my sayings. Third Nephi, Chapter 11 Now we come to the most exciting portion of the entire Book of Mormon. The major mission of the Book of Mormon is to tell the story which now lies just ahead. And now it came to pass that there were a great multitude gathered together of the people of Nephi round about the temple which was in the land bountiful. And they were marveling and wondering one with another, and were showing one to another the great and marvelous change which had taken place. And they were also conversing about this Jesus Christ, of whom the sign had been given concerning his death. We have already learned from chapter 10, verse 18, that the events we are about to encounter occurred many months after the great destruction and toward the end of the 34th year. This means that Nephi III has had ample opportunity to visit the various congregations of survivors and assemble a careful selection of 2,500 for this great conference. The preparation for this conference are not furnished in Nephi's writings, but it soon becomes apparent that this multitude which Nephi had assembled at the temple in Bountiful was no ordinary assembly. Nephi, the Lord's prophet, was here. So were all the men who would be the twelve disciples for the administration of the church in the Western Hemisphere. Altogether, this multitude soon takes on the characteristics of a general conference that Nephi must have been inspired and perhaps even carefully instructed to welcome the resurrected Jesus Christ to his ministry in America. According to chapter 25, verse 17, 
it turns out that there were 2,500 chosen associates of Nephi who had the thrilling privilege of witnessing this monumental event. It is interesting that not far from the temple was the city of Bountiful, with a population of survivors from the recent Holocaust. But none of these got to see the Savior's arrival, even though it occurred right over their heads. Nor did they hear the voice of the Father as he instructed his Son. The Scripture says, And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven. And they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it. And their eyes were towards the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven, from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard. And it said unto them, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. For all of those who mingled together in this great conference, this must have been an electrifying experience. And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven. And behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven. And he was clothed in a white robe. And he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him. And they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant. For they thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them. And it came to pass that he stretched forth his hand, and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. Imagine what it must have been like to stand there near the temple and actually see the resurrected Jesus Christ as he stretched out his hands toward them. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, the whole multitude fell to the earth, for they remembered that it had been prophesied among them that Christ should show himself unto them after his ascension into heaven. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise, and come forth unto me, 
that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. There is no indication that Jesus was appearing to them in glory, but just as he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the twelve apostles in Jerusalem, he was very much like an ordinary person who wanted these people to see him as being very much like one of themselves. It was all so natural and wonderful that he wanted them to come up close and touch him. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do going forth one by one until they had all gone forth and did see with their eyes and did feel with their hands and did know of a surety, and did bear record that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God! And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus, and did worship him. For 2,500 people to exercise this privilege would have taken a long time. If each one of them took only five seconds to approach the Savior, feel the various wounds, and retire, it would have taken a full minute to accommodate 12 people, and a full hour to accommodate 720. For 2,500 to have had this thrilling experience would have required close to four or five hours. But from the point of view of the Savior, it was all worthwhile. These were his first witnesses in America, and the last ones to have such an intimate opportunity to come as a group and touch his resurrected body and feel his wounds. Two portrayals of Jesus appearing to the Nephites will be found on page 14 and 15 of volume 4 of our text. And it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude, and he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth, and bowed himself before the Lord, and did kiss his feet. This is the first time we have heard of the president of the church since the terrible destruction took place. He had been the spiritual leader of the church for 34 years, and so we estimate that by this time he must have been approximately 60 years of age. Where was he during the terrible destruction? We are not told, but his life was protected. And since that horrendous experience, this great prophet had been busy, of that we may be sure. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended into heaven. Jesus wanted this whole assembly to hear his commission to Nephi to baptize these people into his church. 
Of course, they had already been baptized for the remission of their sins, but now they would be baptized members of the church of Jesus Christ. It was to lay the foundation for the kingdom of God in the meridian of time, and Jesus wanted the whole congregation to hear him authorize Nephi to call certain others to help. And again the Lord called others, and said unto them likewise, and he gave unto them power to baptize. And he said unto them, On this wise shall ye baptize, and there shall be no disputations among you. Verily I say unto you, that whoso repenteth of his sins through your words, and desireth to be baptized in my name, on this wise shall ye baptize them. Behold, ye shall go down and stand in the water, and in my name shall ye baptize them. And now behold, these are the words which ye shall say, calling them by name, saying, Having authority given me of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then shall ye immerse them in the water, and come forth again out of the water, and after this manner shall ye baptize in my name. For behold, verily I say unto you, that the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one. And I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. Now Jesus set forth the cornerstone of his church, which is to be built on revelation, and there was to be no contention as in the past, even wars had broken out among them as a result of contention in previous years. And according as I have commanded you, thus shall you baptize. And there shall be no disputations among you as there have hitherto been. Neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine as there have hitherto been. For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger one against another, but this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. Jesus then proceeded to teach these people the fundamental principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All through the life of each human being who has heard the gospel, these basic principles must be reviewed and rekindled in the conscience of the soul if he or she is to return to the presence of our Heavenly Father. All of these people had heard these principles before, but they are so simple, they become commonplace. Jesus wanted them to hear each aspect of this bedrock of the gospel from his lips. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will declare unto you my doctrine. And this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me. And I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me. And the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. And I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent 
and believe in me. And whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. And whoso believeth not in me and is not baptized shall be damned. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father. And whoso believeth in me believeth in the Father also. And unto him will the Father bear record of me. For he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And thus will the Father bear record of me. And the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the Father and me. For the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. Now he wants to summarize and emphasize what he is trying to impress upon them. And again I say unto you, Ye must repent, and become as a little child, and be baptized in my name, or ye can in no wise receive these things. And again I say unto you, Ye must repent, and be baptized in my name, and become as a little child, or ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that this is my doctrine, and whoso buildeth upon this buildeth upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. The beauty of the first principles is their simplicity but it is also the source of a major temptation to make them a little more mysterious and ponderous. Jesus wants his servants to build on the rock of Revelation and teach these principles simply just the way he has taught them. And whoso shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil, and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation, and the gates of hell stand open to receive such when the floods come and the winds beat upon them. Therefore, go forth unto this people and declare the words which I have spoken unto the ends of the earth. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.